Hello, droids and deadheads and disco dancers and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host... Michael Hull. Our guest today is an acclaimed and beloved film critic and niche culture aficionado whose work has appeared just all over the place. Uh, Vanity Fair, TV Guide, Times of Israel, Polygon, Decider, etc., etc. He also just recently finished a term as the president of the New York Film Critics Circle, huzzah. And he is the co-author of the Star Trek Book of Friendship, which is available wherever fine books are sold. Folks, please join me in welcoming the mayor of Astoria, Mr. Jordan Hoffman. Hey, Hi, Jordan. Hey, look at that. Hey. All right. How's everybody doing? Hey, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Hey. Good to see you here in a good year. Yeah. Good night for a good year. Yeah. So Jordan Hoffman, yeah. uh, we were standing, this was, I believe, I want to say November. We were standing in line for oh. the first press screening of Babylon. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. piece of shit. Um, and that, that you enjoyed very much. I mean, I'm not like a I'm, Babylon. I'm, glad. I'm not, not going to fight you over Babylon. I, I, I enjoyed it, but it is not. You did. Let's put it this way. Years from now, when you're doing the Goodyear episode <laughs> on 2022, few yeah. people will choose Babylon as their favorite movie of the year. But I, I ultimately, for, you know, Ebert Cisco reasons, I would go su- thumbs up on Babylon, but I know you go thumbs down. That's fair. That's fair. I'm I'm more but, of a thumbs down, but I, but yeah. I, I'm genuinely glad you you enjoyed it so very much. <laughs> okay. Uh, and we were standing in line for the for the press screening, yeah. and I I uh, the show had only been out for I don't know a few weeks, and I pitched you on the show and yeah. on coming on as a guest. Uh, and you immediately said, not right now, because it's, you know, it's it, you, as I mentioned, were the, the head of, of, uh, you were the president, the chair, if you will, of the, uh, New York film critic circle. That's a busy time of year, but you said, you know, after we get into the spring, definitely. And I said, okay, well, what would your year be? And you, without hesitation said 1977. 100%. 1977. So, so that's the year we're going to talk about, uh, tonight, but tell us why. That was your immediate go-to. I want to talk about this year on your little podcast. Sure. Well, because of the yin and yang of two very important movies to me, Annie Hall, mm-hmm. which is at the mm-hmm. end of the day mm-hmm. my favorite movie of all time. Casablanca's mm. in the mix. Citizen Kane <laughs> is in the mix. Uh, sure. Koyana Scotsy's in the mix. Uh, Pink Floyd Live at Pompeii is in the mix. But Annie Hall, at the end of the day, Annie Hall is my favorite movie of all time. And it's one of uh, several perfect movies that Woody Allen has made. I mean, I think Purple Rose of Cairo is a masterpiece. I think, you know, he, you know that's, that's the number one. If I have to pick one, that's the one. But then there are so many options that are vying for second place. We're going to be talking about a number of them today. And what's funny is that Saturday Night Fever is such a great flip to Annie Hall. I mean, Annie Hall is mm-hmm. Manhattan. It's Jewish. It's, you know, sort of uh, intellectual. It's neurasthenic. Mm-hmm. It's all these things. And then you go to Saturday Night Fever, you go to Brooklyn, and it's more of the body, and it's of the dancing, and it's of the, hey, you touch my hair. It's all that. And that's everything I love about being a New York, New Jersey guy. And then the other thing, of course, is Star Wars. And, you know, yes. listen, there, there, there literally is a podcast that's been on the air if podcasts are on the air in the spheres in the tubes whatever for years called uh-huh. star wars minute that analyzes every minute of Star Wars. i've been on this podcast so you know to, to talk about star wars is like who are you to talk about star wars especially because you know some of the star wars movies aren't that great and i haven't watched all the shows and then there's cartoons <laughs> and whatnot whatever but there star are. wars the first episode yeah. four as the kids call it now 
pretty freaking oh, great. And I loved it, it when I was a kid. Great. You know, Star Wars is great. Yeah. And then Star Wars comes with a nice flip too, which is uh, Close Encounters. Uh, but then the thing about 1977 is there was so much else happening in the culture. I mean, in the music. I just mm-hmm. Googled albums released in 1977. All right, so dig this. Mm-hmm. Talking Heads 77 is an obvious one that yep. comes to mind, okay? Yep. Um, David Bowie's doing uh, his Berlin stuff. The first first album by The Clash. Uh, Iggy Pop Lust for Life. Steely Dan's Asia, right? Pink Floyd's Animals, mm-hmm. which... I mean, there are a lot of Pink Floyd albums that are tied for first place. That's one of them. Uh, <laughs> Sex Pistols. I'm not the biggest Sex Pistols fan, but I recognize their value in the culture. Yeah, I would say, I, I, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes. There's an incredible documentary. It was made for VH1 uh, that uh, aired in like 2007, directed by Henry Cora, called NY77, The Coolest Year in Hell. And it gets into great movie the a, a whole lot of the stuff you're talking about music art uh visual art graffiti art you know the blackout which we'll talk about like just this this really really intricate look at sort of uh, you're right there was just there was something that was very much in the air in 77 and that was that was uh that was permeating all of culture, but but movies especially. Mike is going to walk us through some of, just some of the amazing and interesting things that were happening in the year 1977. Here's headlines. From Washington, D.C., highlights of today's inauguration of Jimmy Carter as President of the United States. With those simple and traditional words, James Earl Carter today became our 39th president. On January 20th, Jimmy Carter was sworn in as the 39th president of the United States. Hey! Different fucking world, bro. You remember Jimmy Carter? You remember that guy? Peanuts and the Allman Brothers, and he walked to work, right? Wasn't that his big shtick? Because then he was sworn in, he was like, I'm walking to work, folks. And he had had he had had lust in his heart for women outside of his marriage. Yeah. That was a big. That was what passed for a sex scandal right. in the different Carter world. administration. Lust in his heart. Different world. Yep. In February was the first test flight of a space shuttle. Nice. That would go on to be a very big deal in my yeah. young life. Was that yeah. not, in fact, yeah, yeah. the Enterprise? It was, I, in yeah. fact, the Enterprise. Uh, wow. Wow. Was that that was not a coincidental naming, I'm assuming, No, no, Jordan? it was, it was uh, I think they had a thing where it, they had like a letter writing campaign, what should we call our test thing? And, of course, people wrote in for the Enterprise. And what that meant was um, most of the cast members of Star Trek were there for liftoff. Nice. Now, I forget who wasn't. It was either Nimoy or Shatner wasn't there. Depending on who was <laughs> I, I, on who was being too cool I, for the show at I, that no, moment. I think at that moment, you know, those two and everybody involved in Star Trek had moments of hating one another. So I believe sure. it was everybody but Shatner was there. But uh, you could, there is a All photo right. of, like, everybody that was there. And DeForest Kelly looks really cool. Um, he's wearing those sunglasses. And um, Nichelle Nichols actually got involved with nasa she was for a number of years she was uh, like a nasa she did propaganda work for nasa she did ads psas nice. you know they're they're nice. online you can find really kind of fun uh little little film strips with uh, nichelle nichols doing uh doing nasa stuff in the late 70s all right we will find either that and or the <laughs> aforementioned photo and put them up on the in the show notes as well mike in march was the tenerife airport disaster when two airplanes collided on the runway between the wreck and the fire, 583 people were killed. Still the worst Jesus. air disaster. Uh, still the worst disaster in aviation history. And it happened when nobody was flying. 
They were on the ground. Uh, just say that again. Uh, there was a Canary Islands independence movement at the time that had bombed a different airport on the island, and that caused flights to be diverted to this airport, which meant that there was uh, too many planes around, and that caused the accident. So those deaths are at least, by some, attributable to the leftist bombing campaigns that were going the fuck down in 77. What the hell are Canary Islands fighting for independence? <laughs> There's like 12 people that lives there. It's a beautiful... You want to be ruled by Spain, bro? Yeah, of course I do. No. Spain is... What do you want? Oh, God forbid you have uh, organized uh, socialized medicine. You have good good education. No, no, no. This was, under, this was the era of Franco. Oh, You're giving right, them way right, too right, much credit. All right. All right. That's a good point. I'd forgotten that Franco was still around. All right. Fair enough. Viva la Canaries. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Speaking of, actually, in June was the first democratic elections in Spain after 41 years of fascism yeah. under garbage human Francisco Franco. So, see, maybe the Canary Islands people didn't know that in June mm. there was a thing right yeah. around the corner, they right? Chill. They just had a chill. <laughs> to this day, to this day, the main thing I know about Francisco Franco is that he is still dead. Right. That's like, that's my main <laughs> reference point. Sorry. Good evening, I'm Larry Kane. Our big story on Eyewitness News is the live picture you see directly behind me. Suddenly, light and brightness out of a 24-hour darkness. The bright patchwork of the second night of the great New York energy crisis of 1977. At this moment, more than 90% of the electrical power has been restored in greater new york con ed hopes for full restoration by midnight tonight but thousands are still without power in july was the great new york city blackout there are tons of good movies and podcasts and all kinds of ways to find out about the new york blackout in 77 and as far as i'm concerned we still celebrate that night every time we listen to hip-hop Yep, yep, yep. A lot about that connection in the aforementioned NY77, uh, the coolest year in hell. And uh, some good stuff about that on the first episode of the Fun City Cinema podcast as well. Just hell throw that out yeah. there. Just putting that out now, there. I, there, that there were out two there. big blackouts. I think one was in 65 or whatever it was. And mm -hmm. that was the yep. one that my aunt was indeed on the subway. And so, oh, God. Oof. Yeah, she talked about a night of hell. So she waited until eventually police came and with met with lanterns took them through oh, the tunnels God. and she had to climb up a ladder and then walk home. You know, it was not, uh, not pleasant. She got her steps in. Yeah. See, but <laughs> yes. they didn't have that then. They didn't have that. Yeah. They didn't have that they to didn't. be like, you know, yeah. I had a fucking yeah. terrible day, but I closed my ring. Yeah. Okay. In yeah. August uh, was the U.S. Senate hearings on Project MK Ultra, oh, And that ooh. is why we have conspiracy theories to this day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wormwood, good move, good, uh, good, good Netflix series by Errol Morris. Wormwood, yeah, I like. Check that. it out. Yeah, that's some shit that's like not supposed to be true, but definitely is. Mm -hmm. Later in August was the Wow Signal, which is was a 72-second radio transmission that came from the direction of the Sagittarius constellation. And to this day, it is the best evidence we have for life on other planets. Uh, we've been listening basically constantly since, and that's the only one we've ever found. No idea what it means, where it came from, how it was produced, and that is why we have alien movies to this day. The Wow Signal is referenced in contact at some point. Yeah, it's it's in there. I should know about it, but I this was all news to me. I feel, no, no, no. I was only two at the time, but no, still, yeah. this feels like a thing I should know more about. In October, the Soviet Union dropped Joseph Stalin's name from the national anthem, so that seems like an unalloyed good. Yeah, better late than never, <laughs> right? If there is a core to Harvey Milk's support, it's along this street, Castro Street. This is a center for the homosexual community. 
But there were four gay candidates running in the election. To win, Milk had to get other support. He did. From the elderly, from environmentalists, labor. The firefighters union went door to door campaigning for him. And he picked up a lot of minority support. If I'm fighting for the rights of gay people, and I am, then I must fight for the rights of all people. You know, all the minorities, the senior citizens, the handicapped, the disenfranchised people, or oh, I'm a hypocrite. In November, Harvey Milk became the first openly gay elected official in a large city in the United States. Huzzah. And that's what we'll remember about that. We're going to stop there. Yep. Also in November, Manolis Andronicus discovered the tomb of Philip nice II work, of Macedon. Mike. Thank you. Nice work with that pronunciation. Probably yeah. still got it wrong. Who did, what did he find? He was a Greek archaeologist. He discovered the tomb of Philip II of Macedon. And if that's exciting to you, I don't have to explain why. Cool. Yeah, go for it. I like it. But my personal favorite piece of news from 1977 is the eradication of natural smallpox for every human on Earth. Thanks to vaccinations and fucking science, baby. Wait, so if like if everyone gets vaccinated for a thing, it goes away? Is that how it works? (laughs) That's that's how the that's that's what history suggests. But, you know, if I'm not mistaken and tell me if I'm wrong, if you know, I never had a smallpox vaccine, but my older sister and uh, did and my um, my mother did and my father did. And they they have like a a noticeable to this day, a noticeable indentation in their is this called a clavicle? Is that what that is? Somewhere up here near their right. neck. Yeah. They have a little yeah. boop and I don't have the little boop, but, but they did. And it's I because do, I of, also have no boop. Yeah. But if we were a, f- a little bit older, we would have it. Yep. They, yep. the like, it's basically like once everybody on earth who is sort of under a certain age had the boop, they stopped giving them out Yeah, because, you know, everybody hmm. had been inoculated at that point. Yeah. So it wasn't appearing hmm. naturally. This so would never happen I believe again. that we are, we are the first yeah. generation uh, that didn't that didn't, didn't have to be inoculated at all, or and, worry about it, or worry about it. Yeah. If more more to the point, or worry about getting yeah. fucking smallpox. See, yes. that's a little bit scary because I feel like in the world we live in today, uh, we couldn't achieve this goal, right? With all the the QAnon nonsense. Well, you know, I mean, this is what people who. Support Franco, like to say. <laughs> that's one way you get some shit done, right? The trains run on time, right? The trains, the trains run on time. Run on time. Yeah. People get their oh, fucking boop because yeah. you know what happens oh, to them boy. if they don't. If you don't get the little boop, you're going to get a big fucking boop right in between the eyes. There you go. But a bing. Yeah. Some people died. I mean, a lot of people were born, but they're famous enough already without our fucking help. So we'll talk about the people that died instead. All right. Errol Garner, Anais Nin. That's the first Freddie time Prinn. in history. The first time in history, Errol Garner and Anais Nin were named side by side. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Welcome to a very yeah. good year. Yeah. I happen to love it. I think Errol Garner is one of the greatest piano jazz pianists that's ever lived. He's not that... You know he's up there. I mean, Oscar Peterson and, and Errol Gardner and 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 Bud Powell—they're they're on my Mount Rushmore for sure. You know, I love him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This is our podcast, so I get to say Errol Gardner. Yeah. Fucking a. Yeah. <laughs> um, Fannie Lou Hamer passed in '77. Peace be upon her. Uh, film producer Brian Foy, who led the B Picture Unit at Warner Brothers and produced more than 200 movies. He was known as the Keeper of the Bees, and he's one of those guys who's like. His name is not known, but I personally am very happy that he had a career. Uh, Gummo Marx, the <laughs> not the last or most famous Marx we'll mention. Joan Crawford, William Castle, Roberto Rossellini, Alan Reed, who was the original uh, voice of Fred Flintstone. Alice Paul, 
American spy Francis Gary Powers, Zero Mostel. Still, I'm still working on that U2 joke from, from a couple <laughs> of weeks back. I'm still working on it. We'll find a reason to bring him up again. Yep. Uh, Anti-apartheid activist Steve Bilko, Dorothy Davenport, Bing Crosby, and three fellows from Leonard Skinner became the last martyrs to the Confederate flag in 77. <laughs> yeah, they sure did. Uh, finally, the world lost Elvis, Elvis Aaron Presley on yeah. August 16th. Yeah. And Groucho Marx on August 19th. That was a shit weekend. Wow. Bad fucking wow. American culture. Was Garbage it a weekend? weekend. Was it a Friday, Sunday? I, that would be amazing if it I, was. I'm I don't think I ever sure. I ever knew that they had died two days apart. Yeah, yeah. No, wow. Groucho got like very little press, Jesus. you know, because Groucho Elvis had just died and that was a bit more wow. surprising. Who Elvis do you who do, than, be honest? Than who, Groucho. who do you love mm. more? Don't make me choose. Oh, Groucho. Groucho. I mean, I love Elvis. I love okay. Elvis, but no, Groucho, Groucho was the, the the king of the one-liner, and yeah. I like one-liners more than I like rock and roll. <laughs> I can't choose. I can't choose, and I won't choose. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> the year ended on a shit note as well. Uh, Charlie Chaplin passed away on Christmas, and Howard Hawks died on Boxing Day. Damn, Jesus. son. All right. Well, uh, to put a positive spin on it, I would say that those big four, Elvis, Groucho, Charlie, Chaplin, and Howard Hawks, would in fact be this week's Dream Blunt rotation. Let's <laughs> let's light one up with no, the boys. Wait, no, bring Anais Nin back in there. Come on. There you go. <laughs> she's, a, she's probably an interesting lass. I'd like there to. There you uh, go. There you go. With her. Should we plow through some sports real quick? Yeah, yeah. Bang it through. Yeah. There were plenty of football games, but the only one that matters was November 20th when Chicago Bear great Walter Payton set a single game rushing record of 275 yards with a 100 degree fever, 101 degree fever from the flu. Wow. A total Jesus. badass who desperately needed a fucking union so he could stay yes. home that day. Uh, yes. Reggie Jackson earned the nickname Mr. October yeah. when the Yankees beat the L.A. Dodgers to win the World Series. Right. Hall of Famer Rick Swenson won the Iditarod Trail Dog Sled Race behind lead dogs Andy and Old Buddy. This is the second appearance of Andy, Old Buddy, and Rick Swenson on a very good year. Hall Proud of Fame of what? There's an Iditarod Hall of Fame? Fuck yeah, there, <laughs> there is. is. it a gnome? Is it a you gotta gnome? go to Alaska to see <laughs> it, but you That's know it's right. there. Nobody knows it's yeah. there because nobody's been. they got dog statues outside anyway i haven't been yet it's a it's a it's on a bucket list the triple crown was won by seattle slew who went on to literally get laid for a living for the rest of his life shout out to the slew not a bad retirement plan they have flown to new york from around the world this week some to glimpse the statue of liberty for the very first time they have flown here for an occasion that has stirred the interest of the world not a UN meeting or a summit conference, but the retirement of an athlete. The occasion takes place today, not in Manhattan itself, but past the Empire State Building and across the Hudson River in the Meadowlands of New Jersey. They have gone out the Jersey Turnpike, the thousands from overseas and the tens of thousands from the United States, making a pilgrimage to a stadium named for a pro football team. But today jammed to its capacity of more than 75,000 for a soccer game. They have come to say goodbye the man they call Pele. And finally, uh, Pele played his last professional game as a member of the New York Cosmos. It's a very cool story. His first pro team was the Brazilian club Santos, and so the game was a friendly between the Cosmos and the Santos. Pele played the first half for New York, his final team, and the second half for Brazil, his first team. 
everybody should get. I mean, really, we should all have an opportunity to retire and go out like Pele in Seattle Slough, right? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny that Pe- I don't know anything about soccer, but I do know about this Pele game because um, uh, he died on my watch. So I ended up writing an obituary for Pele uh, for a pretty well-known outlet. It's kind of embarrassing considering how little I know about the guy. But in my in my, in my my vehemently swift uh, readings about him, I think that last game, it was like a who's who of celebrities that attended. Yeah. And topical, given he just turned 100, I'm pretty sure there's a picture of Henry Kissinger and Pele embracing oh as the as he tr- as he transformed from his Cosmos uniform into his Brazilian. Well, you know, okay. See, this is the thing that, and and see, you don't. This is you're you're poking a fucking soft spot here, bro, because you don't know about soccer. But Brazil was actually under a dictatorship for quite a while, and Pele was just sort of like friends with all of them, and was just sort of like, I play soccer. Like, I don't know what you all are talking about. And everybody was like, "Fuck you, dude! Like, you're the most famous Brazilian by a thousand miles right. to yeah, anybody yeah. in the world. Like, yeah. if you gave a fuck, you'd be able to make a difference." And he yeah. was like, "It's not that I don't care. I just like." And to me, whenever you hear him talk. It always sounded like he was like, I'm fucking scared. The dude's got guns and they're assholes and they're crazy. Why is this on me? Oh, that's hilarious. So anyway, that's a very soft spot. Uh, you wouldn't know that from banging out an obituary in an hour. No, though. that I didn't know. I was going to say, I thought uh, Victory might have been a 77 film, but that was an 81. Pele, Sly uh, Stallone, and Michael Caine yeah. in Victory, yes. which I yes, saw yes. in the theaters. And I, I, I was you know, half asleep through most of it, but I remember seeing that in the theaters. And um, and that's it. I haven't seen it since. Okay, so when I was five, I saw it. Yeah, watch his soccer highlights because his acting was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's sports or that's headlines. Hey. That's sports and headlines. Thank you, Mike. All right, Jordan Hoffman, you ready to do a top five? I think so. I think we're ready to rock. All right, so we decided we're going to do this is not a ranked list. This is a, uh, a thematically uh, tied list, uh, the, the, the aforementioned pairs and then one wild card. So, Jordan, where should we start on your top five you know, for 1977? I, it's not my favorite of the five we're going to talk about, but let's talk about, let's address the uh, blue keyboard playing elephant in the room. <laughs> Although that's not this film, that's Return of the Jedi, but let's talk about Star Wars. Luke Skywalker was just a farm boy until he received a mysterious message. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. To rescue a beautiful princess. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Too short for a stormtrooper. And defend the forces of freedom against the Death Star. Here they come. The winner of seven Academy Awards, the legendary Star Wars. Rated PG. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Back when the movie was called Star Wars and it wasn't called Episode Four, a new blah, 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 blah. Star Wars. It's pretty great. Now I was too young to see it in the theater. I was probably too young. Now I, I, I did not see Empire Strikes Back in the theater, but I had an awareness of it. But I hadn't seen it yet. And then in the in the in the uh, interregnum between M- uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, Star Wars came to VHS. Yes, it did. I remember this well. Yes, and I was um, uh, young. My parents were early adapters when it came to VHS, but slow to get cable. So, uh, but we had a VHS store, and also because they were early adapters to VHS, there was a store, mom and pop shop, that um, 
uh, you know, not affiliated with any chain. Uh, and it was called the Camera Video Showplace on Route Nine, and they sold nice. cam- originally. They showed cam- they sold cameras, and then, yeah, they start- yeah, yeah. then they started selling these new VCRs, VHS machines, and Betamax, and then they started getting the movies, and then eventually that became their core business was renting movies. So what they did was say, "Hey, listen, if you pay X amount of dollars today when you buy your machine, you will have a deal where you get three free rentals a month for life." Wow, and. Yeah, it was a great deal. That's a good deal. Star Wars came out, and um, because we were so in and so tight with the video store people, they when hot titles would come in, they would pull them aside for us and be like, "Hey, we know you're coming in. We got you your Star Wars." So, um, Star Wars nice. came in, and uh, you know, my mother picked up Star Wars and something else from the shop or whatever, and then brought it home. But I didn't know. Now, um, I, at the time, my parents, uh, we had a small swimming pool in our backyard, and I was swimming with uh, the neighbor kid. I distinctly remember we're playing around in the pool, and my mother's like, uh, what do you, you know, if you boys want to go in, I did get some movies from the camera video show place. In fact, I got Star Wars. <sighs> right? So I remember turning to this kid. I'm not going to say his name, but he a funny name. And I was like, do you want to, like, instead of go swimming, watch Star Wars? And he was like, Yes. So I remember <laughs> we put in the tape. This is my this is my formative memory of watching Star Wars for the first time. We were so riveted, drawn in, much like the Millennium Falcon drawn into the Death Star by a tractor beam, <laughs> that we were shivering and cold because we did not have wow. time to change out of our dripping bathing suits. We just sat there on the floor freezing to death for the 106 minutes or however long Star Wars is because we we could not even hit pause. And I remember my mother going, do you guys want to get out of your bathing suits? We're like, no. And it was just, <laughs> it was just amazing. And then, so I watched it with the neighbor kid and then like, I wouldn't shut up about it. And then um, later that day or whatever, I think my parents watched along with it. And, and my mother was like, oh, this is fun. And like, oh, this Harrison Ford, he's cute. We knew Harrison Ford already <laughs> because he was in the of Frisco course. Kid. Right. So the of Frisco course. kid growing up as a, <laughs> as a Jew in New Jersey, you knew the Frisco kid before you knew Star Wars. So listen, the first Star Wars is great. It's it's still so good. I mean, I don't have to sell anybody on Star Wars, but it's just like really it's just a fast paced movie. I remember you were probably there, Jason, when when uh, George Lucas spoke at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival, maybe about like 2010 or whatever. And he spoke with something um, like that. Yep. With uh, with um, Stephen Colbert. And he was just like. He just said, all my movies are, all I want them to be is fast. He's like, that's all I've been trying to capture in my films is the essence of speed. And certainly THX, you get that. You get that in American Graffiti. And that's what Star Wars is. You maybe don't get that as much in the uh, Senate scenes of The Phantom Menace and whatnot. (laughs) But by then he was uh, off his game. But I mean, it just really, it just really moves. I mean, yeah, yeah, good picture, very good film. So then, do doubling that up, yeah. What then is the the next film well, on your top five? Yeah. For so, so, so what's funny is I think it's easy to forget that you know George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. We we think of them as a tandem, and we should. They are the uh, the Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie of modern American cinema, and um, we forget that. Uh, you know, it's the same year as Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. 
the experience of an ordinary man shared by people from all over the world, drawn to a single spot by a compulsion they don't understand, to witness the most dramatic event in the history of the human race. And when the communication begins, it is fantastic. Close encounters of the third kind. What, what came out first? What came out? Uh, Star Wars came out in the summer. And Close Encounters came out right before the end of the year. Okay. Uh, it was, it, it, which, which, <laughs> it, November. Spielberg wanted yeah. another six months. He wanted, he wanted it to be a summer 78 movie. Oh. And Columbia was so far in the hole yeah. that they literally needed it to come out before the end of the year to like save the studio. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, I think so, it, all, it worked out for everybody. It's not like it didn't do yes. well in November. Um, it you did. know, the, the, the movies now, I don't think people think of them together, but I would imagine at the time, um, people did, it was like, they probably were like a Pepsi and Coke or like, you know, a star Wars versus star Trek. Cause close encounters certainly is a more cerebral film. Um, but, uh, but also it's, I've watched this more recently it's just it's just so riveting and scary as hell also i mean frightening and then the, the thing that i love about i think the killer app if you will of close encounters is the performances of the kids they are they are so good and this was probably the i guess it's the first time that spielberg worked with kids and oh yeah the, i hadn't the, thought of it like um, that yeah. the way the naturalism of those performances are is something that you don't see in movies. You know, the way they're kind of ragging on his dad and just sort of the loudness and the, the antic quality of the kids yeah. and those scenes with there's the a, kids. There's a little tiny bit of that in the, the, the Roy Scheider home stuff in Jaws, but there's very yeah. little, yeah, it, it's but it's, it's, that's that thing you're talking about. It's very much the embryonic form of the thing yeah. you're talking about in this. Yeah, right. the, yeah, the just sort of the noise level and just the yeah. domestic domestic the mess, the mess. Yeah, the mess, and uh, that to me I think is is part of what what makes that movie so great. And then of course, much like in Jaws, you don't see the shark until later. At first, all you're seeing is lights, right? When he's in the truck at the beginning, it's just a big friggin' light booming down on him. Um, the other thing that I love about Close Encounters is, and if it was made today, it would get a big honking studio note, which is explain <laughs> this more. You never get the music mm -hmm. explained. You never get the what right. really is. Boop, 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 boop. I mean, you know, just by watching it, you can figure it out. Um, you also don't get the like the how uh, that they implanted the um the vision of the tower, right? Like, like nowadays they, they would give, they would give you a big boring answer. They would give you a George Lucas, uh, midichlorians answer now, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the scene, the scene where he's playing with his potatoes, mashed potatoes, yeah. and he starts to cry. It's so fucking weird to think that this is yeah. a big, you know, ostensibly a big, what we now call a, a four quadrant studio movie. saver St studio yes. saver, but a four quadrant movie, four kids for bring grandma, bring the kids. Yeah. And like at that point in the movie, you're like, the man is crying as he's playing with his mashed potatoes. If you're seeing it for the first time and you don't know what he's doing, it's like, it's like surreal. It's like, it's a Maya Darren yeah. film or something. It's like, what the hell am I seeing here? <laughs> it's just such a strange little movie. Um, and then of course he abandons his wife and family and he's a hero, yeah. which is, you know, yeah. Spielberg, Spielberg has talked about how he kind of regrets that. And obviously in light of the Fablemans, it's, uh, clearly his misunderstanding of what happened with his parents. Um, I forget which of our colleagues wrote, uh, has written 
um, sort of a look back at um, Spielberg's big movies post Fablemans and how much of it you can see threaded throughout. And certainly Close Encounters is a biggie because of the abandoned father and misunderstanding. And then I think it's actually a famous uh, viral video of, of James Lipton. I don't know if you've seen this one where Lipton says, you know, uh, your father was he was a computer programmer and your mother was a pianist and a, and a musician and close encounters is you're trying to talk to an alien through science and music boop, 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 boop. so as your parents trying to reconcile and spielberg sits there dumbstruck as james lipton says it's like he's like i never thought of that but kind of makes wow. sense doesn't it you know wow. so it's pretty cool it's a great yeah. clip um so yeah. yeah, it's just a very beautiful film. Jordan, let me ask you this. What is your preferred version of this movie? Because there are three, which I think does we don't talk about as much as we talk about with Star Wars, right, which is right. that, as I mentioned, this came out at the end of 77 uh, in, in Spielberg One and More Time. Uh, so in 1980, there was the special edition where he got them to let him recut, and the 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 allowance he was willing to make was that he would add on sort of an epilogue where we follow Roy onto the ship. Yeah. And then uh, 18 years after that, for for home for for DVD and, and Laserdisc, he did a director's cut yeah. where he lopped that stuff off, which he had never wanted to yeah. uh, to put in to begin with, and sort of reconfigured what came before with like a mixture of the first two cuts to make this director's cut. Fuck me, welcome to the film industry. Right, I, I, and it's funny if you have, and I did at one point. I may still have it, the boxed set. There's even mm -hmm. like a graph of like, yes, like a graph of what scenes are in what, and you could really study yeah. it. You know, it's funny every time I put on that middle version, which and I, I do watch this movie pretty regularly. I go like, oh yeah, the interior shots. It's like it's not much. You don't really see much, and I know they at then they re-release it in 1980. Um, they made a big deal. You see the interior of the ship, and I bet you people who that bought was tickets, the marketing hook. Yeah, I bet you people yeah. who bought tickets were a little disappointed. Because you don't really see it. I mean, you probably people will probably think like, "Oh, we're gonna get to see the, you know, like, like the inside of the Enterprise. We're gonna see the bridge. We're gonna see the warp core. We're gonna see the car." It's like, no, you just see a bunch of lights, and the music is swelling. It's really not that big of a deal. Um, but I know that in that in those secondary second and then third cut, there's more stuff of him kind of going kooky. There's a scene with Terry Gar yelling at him. I think he's just like there's a stuff of him digging the earth and kind of climbing through the kitchen window and all that. Um, I think I'm. A, I think in this case, I'm a more is more guy. Whatever version has the most is my favorite. You know, I have always, you know, uh, I had always watched the director's cut uh, because that was just the most recent one, and I figured yeah. that's the one I should honor. Is is wishes, which is bullshit because I don't feel that way about Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, today, actually, I was I was putting it on to refresh, and I said, you know, I haven't seen the special edition since VHS, yeah. which was the first time I saw it. And I so I rewatched the special edition for the first time in a very long time. And you know what? I he has, like I said, disavowed this. You know, he yeah, wishes yeah. he hadn't gone inside. Doesn't think of I I really liked that sequence. Yeah, mostly because I think Dreyfus is extraordinary in it. Yeah, there he's just are when Spielberg's face see, like crazy. He's just like a yes. mouth open like a lunatic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he like the way that you see sort of all of the emotion that has been brewing inside him for the last two hours sort of really come out of him when he fully takes this in. 
Uh, it's just a couple of close-ups. You know, like you said, it doesn't add a lot of running time to the movie. But I found myself very moved by what he's doing in particular right. in that sequence. And Orson- the lights and stuff are cool, too. But, yeah. like, as an actor's moment, I found it really powerful. That's re- Yeah, that's really cool. So, Jordan, then, uh, with that double play uh, said and done, what is the third movie on your top five list for 1977? Yeah, I mean, we're going to just sort of, like, skip past the fact that there are some people who don't want to watch Woody Allen movies, and that's their business. Go right ahead. But, that is. Um, but Annie Hall is the best movie ever made. <laughs> Are you always funny? What is this, an interview? We're supposed to be making love. Woody Allen, Diane Keaton, Tony Roberts, Carol Kane, Paul Simon, Shelley Duvall, Janet Margolin, Colleen Dewhurst, Christopher Walken, in the new Woody Allen film, Annie Hall. That was so nice. You were great. <laughs> yeah. That was the most fun I've ever had without laughing. Annie Hall, a nervous romance. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. The movie's like like a like a, a jigsaw puzzle, you know. It just it just flies all over the place with all these ridiculous um, things. You know, there's a moment uh, again. We were talking about close encounters. You forget there's a scene in, in India. You watch Annie Hall. There's an animation sequence in there. I always forget that's there. And then for like <laughs> with a little animated Woody and Snow White. Yeah, or I'm for, sorry, the the Wicked Queen the Wicked from Queen. Snow White. Yeah, for like 45 seconds. You know, it's just ridiculous. And then you know he's talking to a horse. Um, there's direct address. Uh, there's the the whole shtick, which has been. Listen, I'm not saying that Annie Hall was the first movie to ever do this, but it's been stolen a hundred times since. Where he goes back to revisit his past, and he's in the room, and they can't hear him, but they can comment. And then um, Tony Roberts is there, and and they're talking to his aunt Tessie or whatever her name is, and Joey Nichols <laughs> and all that. She was a great beauty. Yeah, it's just aunt like, Tessie what was the a great hell? beauty. It's it's fly. It's at it's at a it's at the speed of sound. This movie flies so fast. The jokes are so great, but it really does. You care about these people. I mean, by the end, you're like, oh, I love this couple. I hope they make it. And of course, they don't because that's. Right. Well, and that to me is what's really what remains fascinating about Annie Hall is that it is so in so many ways, the sort of the template for, you know, the 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 80s, 90s romantic comedy, the the Nora Ephron movie and then all of all of her offspring. Yeah. Um, And yet none of those movies dare do an ending where the couple (laughs) does not end up together. Like, that's the one thing nobody stole from Annie Hall, which I've always found. (laughs) Yeah, really interesting, and yeah, she's no, so great. I mean, she. I mean, oh god, the, the, the you line can't deliveries. Say enough. No, it, it's it's um, her throwaway lines. Like there are lines in there that just make no sense, but she makes them make. Like she's talking about what is it, when an ant or something, and she's like, oh, and then she died. Right, she's talking about like somebody was <laughs> online for getting food. Oh, oh then she, she died. Died, and then she's dead, yeah. and then like. <laughs> And then she just walks away. It's like, that's the ending of the story? What? <laughs> but, you know, this scene, I mean, whatever your favorite scenes in any, I mean, the scene where he comes over to kill the spider, and it's just like one joke that's, after another. Just, just, just That's my favorite. You got a spider away. in there the size of a Buick. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, it resonates in our culture. I mean, Mrs. Maisel, I mean, some of, you know, that stuff is pure Annie Hall stuff. Just the, the, the rat-a-tat-tat of the comedy. Just the nonstop thing. I mean, look, so, even before the current Woody Allen thing. I mean, some people just couldn't stand the persona. I mean, I had a friend who just hated him, just thought he was obnoxious and didn't like it. But if you find him amusing, and I certainly do, uh, it's just, it's just unbeatable. Um, The, the amount of jokes and the, the degree to which, 
this movie, which is now getting close to 50 years old, the degree to which I reference it personally every day of my life. I mean, that and Monty Python, the Holy Grail, I don't even realize that I'm quoting Annie Hall when I'm doing it. Like um, every time I see a bug, I say entomology is a growing field. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not even saying it to anybody. I'm just saying it to say it. And I go like, oh, I'm quoting Annie Hall. I don't even realize it. Okay. So then your, your flip side right. of New York in 77 right, then right. and the so fourth movie on your list. Annie Hall is filled with these intellectuals, you know, very Jewish, obviously not that Diane Keaton is Jewish, but you know, it's of that, of that part of New York and um in manhattan and then you go across the bridge you take the subway and you go to brooklyn and you're out of your mind and you're back in your body and you're with tony Manera and his brothers and here's the deal with saturday night fever you know what time somebody told me i was good in my life two two twice this raised today in dance dance at the disco his name is tony Manero. every guy wants to dance like him he's very good yeah He's the best. Hey, man, he's great. Every girl wants to be with him. John Travolta is Tony Manero in Saturday Night Fever. Catch it. Rated R. Now showing Great Lakes Mall, Lowe's East, and Lowe's Yorktown Theaters. Now, Jason, you are uh, a scholar of New York City cinema and of New York City lore, so tell me if you agree with this statement. There was a stretch of time when Saturday Night Fever, amongst cinephiles or amongst sort of the intellectuals, they kind of dismissed this movie for a little while because um, it was a disco exploitation film, which is not a bad thing, but it was just, you know, shunted away as a disco exploitation film. And then I think that the fact that Travolta in Greece soon after kind of kneecapped its uh, respectability because Greece, although it's fun and I love Greece, Greece is not an intellectual treat. Greece is kind of a stupid movie. This is kind of a stupid movie. I mean, I love it, but it's dumb. Uh, no, I and- think a lot of us have had that experience of sitting down to watch Saturday Night Fever, you know, as a teen yeah. when you've only seen like the clips of yes. like, you know, him doing the dance solo and yeah. you think you're you're settling in for this like, you know, cheeseball kitsch yes, yes, 70s yes. disco musical. And then it turns out it's this like, you know, hard edged working class yes. drama <laughs> with like all this uncomfortable rape culture stuff in it and all this toxic masculinity and, and it's an intense drama. A hundred percent. Like the characters are great. Um, you know, the kid who knocked up his girlfriend, uh, the whole, you know, the suicide, the ways of killing yourself without killing yourself, you know, those kinds of scenes that you would, again, Hey, let's watch this kitschy movie. Travolta. Oh, he's such a clown now. Look who's talking to. All right, sure. Let's watch him do his dance movie. <laughs> Holy shit. This is a great movie. Yeah about real yeah. issues, uh, real issues that I think affect more people in the real world than movies will portray. Um, but let's talk about the pizza, right? So Monero style. Okay, all right. I, I you know, I, you know, when I say to you, I'll meet slices Monero Are you a style. practitioner? No. It's the one thing he does wrong. <laughs> the guy can dance, but he can't eat a friggin' slice. He there puts one slice of pizza on top of another slice of pizza. It's madness. Who's in that much of a hurry to eat their pizza? Time. <laughs> a good city slice. And those slices look good, right? Those look like real quality slices. They're good. They're good slices. He should eat, he does All fold right. it. He folds it correctly. But putting yes. one on top of the other, oi. Madness. Madness. Yeah. All right. So Jordan, it is we are now at the conclusion of your top five. We're ready for our wild card pick. Another music film. Um yeah. uh we will say. 
Jordan, what is your fifth and final top five film of 1977? Mock me if you must, and we won't get into it because I don't know if either of you have seen it. But in 1977, they finally released the Grateful Dead movie. This is just fucked up, though. This fucking film, man, make cash off everybody. This, uh, this is the biggest pile of shit I've ever seen. The dad ever did. Oh, you're nuts, man. This film is you have five nights this show, man. You can have it filmed one night in charge floor Would you? Would you listen to me? Yeah. This film is nothing more than a record album. Yeah. On film. Now, what's interesting is that the Grateful Dead. Oh, God. I just opened the Pandora's box there. I was going to say, yeah. I, I don't know where that sentence could yeah. go where that would be accurate, what's but go ahead. What's interesting about the, what's interesting about this movie is that it was three years in the making. They shot it in 74. It didn't come out until 77 because of all kinds of uh, budgetary concerns and like where the band was at. And Jerry, it was Jerry's baby and the rest of the band didn't he is care. the he is the director of the film like you know he's this credited is his... with another guy yeah it nearly sank them uh financially and and it never recouped until it went out on vhs or whatever but um the dead uh although they're just kind of one thing they do change a lot there to a non-fan it all sounds like garbage but to a fan you know, the dead of 68 is very different from the dead of 74 and the dead sure. of 1990. But what's really interesting is that the movie was shot in 74 when they were doing a very particular type of thing. And then it came out in 77 when they were doing a far different thing. 77 and 78 is the year of disco dead, which if you, you might actually like, if you don't like the grateful dead, you might like the albums from 1977. And when I say <laughs> the albums, I mean the shows, I mean, they're, you know, the, the the albums that the dead put out although i love them that's not the real grateful dead as you know it's the concerts that it's all about that's what this movie is it's a concert film sure sure, you know, sure before stop making sense before the last waltz they did this um and in 77 if you ever if you've ever said you know what people keep yapping about the grateful dead listen to a show from 77 in fact listen to 5877 cornell uh university ithaca new york that's the one that you might say this kind of moves because it's got a disco beat there's an 11 and a half minute version of dancing in the streets on that 5877 show it's on spotify if you don't like that there's something wrong with you it's really good it's really good okay okay but 74 was a, so what's funny is that if you were going to see a dead show if you went and saw the 5877 concert in ithaca new york i had your mind blown and then you went and saw the grateful dead movie in june when it opened at the zigfield in new york city that's not my dead anymore man that's 74 is dead and 74 is dead was dirtbag dead dirtbag <laughs> outlaw country you know it was right. it was a different kind of vibe and it's really really cool so if you like the music it's captured so well it's a concert film if you like the dead it's perfect and donna jeans there the whole gang there even ned Loggins there for a few minutes if you're not a dead fan you know what i'm talking about but it's great <laughs> but the other thing is it's much like a great concert film should, like Woodstock. I mean, the best part of Woodstock is the stuff that's not the music. It's all the fans. It's all the other stuff. So much good footage of the Deadheads um, dancing, singing along in the music, and then just like little interview scenes. You know, and similar to the song remains the same, which came later. Shots of the fans staggering around the Winterland uh, Theater in San Francisco. You know, ta waiting online to get tickets buying a hot dog for 60 cents, drinking beer out of a paper cup. It's just cool. It's just a great snapshot. If you're, if you're enamored of 
American culture and want to want to experience as close as you can to what it was like to see the Grateful Dead in 1974 in San Francisco and see what those people were like. The interview footage is gold. I mean, it, it becomes a Maisel's film for a few minutes when you see no. that, that stuff. It's so good. I I this I did watch the film Jordan, oh! because I had seen I had seen the other four. Yeah. And I do I I appreciated I I remain not a fan. Sure. Uh but I don't I don't actively hate it. I yeah. just not for me. But I appreciate the fact that like that like you say that what you hear when you talk to Grateful Dead fans is that you can't get it on a record. The whole experience is going to the show and having the experience. And I appreciate the fact that they attempt to sort of fully replicate the entirety of the concert going experience. Yeah. So there yeah. is an intermission and yeah. we spend some time with the security guard at the <laughs> yeah. side door where yeah. people are sneaking in and we take a concession break and the whole thing is a little too long. Like yeah. everything about it <laughs> caps it feels yeah. like they really went to, so, so it is, it's, it has a, you are there yeah. kind of immediacy to it. My, my aforementioned Marlboro, New Jersey wife, her parents were, uh, literally, they call it touring with, but that makes it sound like they had something to do with the band. No, they were just following them dead, around, yeah. you know. <laughs> but like, my father-in-law was the guy that had like two separate microphones. You know, so you could get that sort of, you know, you could have them sort of set up in opposite directions, but like they couldn't really be that far away from each other because like you're fucking super stoned and trying to pay he attention was a taper? to them all at the same time. Your father-in-law time. was a taper. He was a taper. My oh, father-in-law man. was a taper. Praise be unto him. And, uh, we, we owe him so much. We owe him so much. Well, and this, you know, he's and he's also like very much with the spirit of the thing, yeah. you know, so like I had not seen the movie before either, but I, it was a real like it was a very warm uh, a very warm experience. Why it felt like my in-laws' backyard. You know, they <laughs> oh, got nice. they got an acre in rural New Jersey. You know, like because yeah. they're sort of outside of Marlboro now. You yeah. know, and so they got, and it just it 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 smelled like their their yard. I really enjoyed it. It's not for everybody, but I'm glad you brought it. All right, thank you, Jordan, for that lovely top five. And now, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there is always something new to discover. And with Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, as opposed to those big stupid troughs at all the other streaming services. So Algorithm. you can explore the best of cinema streaming anytime, anywhere. So, for example, this week, if you're looking to watch something streaming in the United States from 1977, I would recommend Peppermint Soda, directed Ooh. by Diane Curis. Good one. A great movie about two young girls growing up in the 70s. And it is notable as being a 70s movie that takes significant portions of it take place at a girls' school. Mm -hmm. And it is not... Uh, uh, filthy no. or prurient in any way whatsoever. It's a, very it's a charming very, coming of age it's movie. A, it's a great, great movie, yeah. but it is like very much from a female perspective yeah. and about young girls and about growing up as a girl in the seventies. And it's one of those things that I love. I love a, a movie that that gives me a perspective that I don't have access to, mm. and just takes me and sits me down in the middle of it, yeah. and and just sort of puts me there yeah, and and makes me watch the world from that perspective. And Peppermint Soda does it. I don't know if I've ever seen a movie 
from the late 70s from a young girl's perspective sort of growing up in that in that world and just so in her bubble yeah. with her sister I, really wonderful movie peppermint soda unlike anything that i've ever seen in great great ways how about you uh, so I'm going to go with Between the Lines, which is also streaming in the U.S. This is Joan Micklin Silver's wonderfully lived-in portrait of uh, you know life at an alt-weekly in the late 1970s. And it's one of those things like it feels incredibly authentic. Um, if it's not, it should be. Like I want this to be <laughs> what it was like to work at an alt-weekly in the late 1970s. Um, you know, I, I, if you follow me at all, you know how much I love Ron Howard's The Paper, which I don't think is a movie that anyone <laughs> expected me to bring up in this spot, but it has that same sort of like it, they have been in these, in these rooms, they've been in these staff meetings, they've hung out with these people. And also it's this incredible ensemble cast, John Hurd's in it, Gwen Wells, Lindsay Krauss, Mary Lou Henner is in it, Bruno Kirby, and then I'm going to trump all of that, Jeff Goldblum as the music critic jeff goldblum <laughs> as a 70s alt-weekly music critic that is a formula for a can't miss motion picture between the lines currently streaming in the u.s what more do you need to know indeed you can try movie free for 30 days at movie.com slash a very good year that's mubi.com slash a very good year all one word for a whole month of great cinema for free free all right, let's find out what films in 1977 were winning trophies and making money. Here's Mike with awards and box office. Sell out with me, oh yeah. Sell out with me tonight. Top of the list, this guy had a very good year. Best picture, best director, Woody Allen. Best actress, Diane Keaton. Best original screenplay to Allen and Marshall Brickman for Annie Hall. A movie that they didn't know what the hell they were going to do with until the editor was like, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> yeah yeah that's still kind of kind of a knockout that it that it did that well at the oscars that he notoriously did not care one shit about <laughs> best actor to dreyfus for the goodbye girl i loved it i love the goodbye girl right. not uh he not had, uh not close encounters not in close encounters no. No. no but yeah dreyfus was putting in the work the in 77 yeah. yeah yes indeed you think that 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 aided his win the fact that, oh definitely yeah the fact that he had another big movie that was a that was a big box office hit saved columbia maybe anybody who had a gig at columbia would have gonna vote for mm -hmm. it because and also you know <laughs> never never hurts to show the range like those yeah, are yeah. two very different performances you yeah. know i mean still have that kind of both have that kind of manic dreyfus 70s coked up thing but yeah. still uh showed some range yeah definitely Best Supporting Actor to Jason Robards, Best Supporting Actress to Vanessa Redgrave, and Best Adapted Screenplay to Alvin Sargent for Julia. Wait, what was Robards for? Robards was for Julia also? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. Um, this was a, uh, a a controversial win for Miss Redgrave, if I am... Uh, if I am not mistaken, some um, some 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 controversy. Yeah, this there. was her. Uh, she got with the Kahanist group, the arch right wing uh, uh, Israeli group, was protesting her because she had raised some money for Palestinian blah blah blah, and they started. And she gave a whole speech. And then what's his name? Um, Paddy Chayevsky told Paddy her. Chayevsky told her basically to STFU later, and he got a big round of applause. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Weird year, weird ceremony, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Best else? original score went to John Williams for 
I mean, Close Encounters. It's the Star only Wars. one that like people have on their phones oh, now, no, right? Star How many Wars, other yeah. soundtracks yeah. came out in '77 that people are actively using as ringtones? Yeah, Star Wars. We usually right? don't mention best original score in the Oscar roundup, but Mike was uh, besmirching the good name of Mr. Williams on a recent after show, so I just thought I would uh, throw throw that in. Was Williams uh, up, I, was Williams up against himself for Close Encounters? Oh, maybe so. And you know what? That's a tough call because the music. I mean, the music, you can't mm. think about Star Wars without thinking about that music, but the music in Close Encounters is extremely important to um, Yeah, William, okay. Williams is up against himself. Fascinating. I said that John Williams is the white button-up shirt, khaki pants, and dark blue blazer of film scores. No, and that is both true because it's, you know, not super <laughs> exciting, but also because it's the only thing that's appropriate in certain places. Otherwise, you're going to be uh, uncomfortable. I'm just saying, like, what's yeah. a Spielberg movie without him, right? And if you'd like to hear more of that conversation, <laughs> uh, become a paid subscriber to our Substack. Mike, what else? And best foreign film went to Madame Rosa. A film I have not seen. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one either. I fail. I don't even know what that is. Golden Globe for Best Picture, Drama, and Best Director Herbert Ross went to The Turning Point. Oh, God, good movie. I'm, sh I'm sure. Yeah, that's good. I've seen it at some point. I remember very little about it. Golden Globes for Best Actor Drama went to Richard Burton and Best Supporting Actor to Peter Firth and the BAFTA for Best Supporting Actress to Jenny Agutter. 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 Jenny Agutter, Jenny Agutter from Walkabout. For there Equus. You go. Yeah. Have you seen Equus? I've not seen Equus. I've seen Equus. Jenny Agutter is in the MCU. She shows up in like a, one of the Avengers movies for 16 seconds. There you have it. Um, Madam Rosa, actually, I do know what this movie is, uh, although I have not seen it. But it, it was it's a French movie, but the uh, director was Israeli. He's one of the very few Israeli Oscar winners. So that's amazing. The year that um, I never knew yeah. this, the year that uh, Vanessa Redgrave did her little thing against yeah. uh, the, the, the Kahanists, who are like, who are assholes? I'll say it. Uh, <laughs> um, but like M Moshe Mizrahi is the name of the director who's probably just like a normal Israeli. He uh, made this movie about a Holocaust survivor living in France called Madame Rosa. Maybe I have seen this. I don't know. It's got it stars Simone Signoret. And I I don't know. Maybe there was a remake of it that I've seen. It's starting to sound really familiar. Maybe but anyway, so. but it beat out that obscure object of desire. That's not fair. That's insane. That's just <laughs> insanity. The seventy-seven Equus to to uh, to go back to that is good. It is uh, it is it's fucking Equus, bro. Like you know what you're in for when you're sitting down. It's you know it's not like just sort of like oh it's got the same title. Like it is definitely Equus, but it's good. It's well done, and it's in a very late seventies sort of like you know a deep sort of therapy therapy language yeah. you know like there's i mean people were working some shit out right they sure uh, were. both in that era and in that show yeah, so that it's I, it, I, those I, things combine in a really heady way I, the, in the 77 equus uh, as you can imagine a line i remember from Exus is just the the mother who uh is joan plower just saying oh we're very horsey people and just remember that <laughs> <laughs> sure enough yeah i just yeah. i just think it's important to note that uh not only was this podcast the first time ever that somebody just blurted out uh errol garner and annius nin's name so quote so close together uh the first time anyone's ever said it's fucking equus bro <laughs> <laughs> You knew exactly it. what I meant, though. Didn't put, you? put that on it. Put that on a T-shirt. I'll wear the. It's fucking Equus, bro. 
Back off. <laughs> BAFTA, uh, BAFTA for Best Supporting Actor went to Edward Fox for A Bridge Too Far. Wow. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty I kind of like epic, that. Uh, I like that movie. Yeah. 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 Everybody's in that. James Conn is in it. Oh, God. Yeah. No, it's uh, full of fucking people. Yeah. Robert Redford's in it for five minutes. It's yeah. terrific. Yeah. I'm already in it. Palm d'Or at the can went to Padre Padrone. Yes. This is a film that, that you enjoy very much. Yeah. Yes, that's that's the Taviani Brothers. That's a, that's a hell of a motion yeah. picture. Yeah. Wasn't Strasscheck that year also? Because we talked about that. It as, is. It is. It'll, it will. We're getting there. All right. We'll all right. hear about that in the lightning round. Yeah. Yes, oh, okay. yes, yes, yes. All right. <laughs> and the golden bear at venice went to the ascent which i have not seen all right top 10 Domestic pretty top interesting 10. box office number 10 was annie hall which like that's pretty i feel like that's pretty great for a, a woody allen movie uh number nine was oh god i like oh god carl reiner george burns doing the thing nice little john denver work i like it uh number eight spy who loved me uh, I've not seen this Bond picture, Jordan. Yeah, of course you've seen it. It's the one where they go underwater. It's, uh... Yeah. It, you're joking, right? Yeah. No, I've not seen a lot of the Roger Moore Bonds. I this just haven't. And you are on a, a CNN Films of the <laughs> 1900s series I. without seeing the Bond underwater? Spy, spy you've at least sorry. seen the scene. You've seen Moonraker, right? Uh, no. Oh, my God. Jason. Oh, that's it. We'll, we'll, spy, do, we'll, we'll do okay, a, Let me back up. And, and nine out of ten Bond experts will agree. The Spy Who Loved Me has the best pre-title sequence of any Bond film. Okay. That's the one where he's on skis, and then he opens his parachute, and it's the Union Jack. Uh, and there we go. And it's got the Carly <laughs> Simon song. It's incredible. Nobody does it better. The first six and a half minutes of The Spy Who Loved Me is, is a masterpiece. The rest is a typical Bond movie. The, right. It's the only time I've ever been happy to see a Union Jack in my entire uh, American life. The best Roger Moore Bond picture for your uh -huh. eyes only, 1981. Oh, hot I, take. That's All my right. pick. That's my pick. And Bilga Ibiri agrees with me. Nobody else agrees okay. with the two of us, but but we're on that one. Number seven for the year, The Deep. Uh, really? With wow. Jacqueline Bassett. Yeah, I've seen yeah, that. yeah. That was that was a big, big, big traffic driver, Jacqueline Bassett in that, the deep. That beat the spy who loved me at the box office. What a crime. Sure did. Wow. Sure did. Number six was uh, a bridge too far, as mentioned before. Stocked poster. You know, there's money in posters. Number five was the goodbye girl. Yep. Number four, Saturday Night Fever. Yep. Nice. And, and in addition to having the number one uh, album of all time, yeah. number right. four movie for the year, not bad. Number three was Close Encounters. Good. Wait, wait. So don't tell yeah. me what number one is. Obviously, number one. Don't tell me number two. Number one is clearly Star Wars. Yes. Clearly. So what's number two? It's number like, two no, 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 opened no, no, the no. same weekend, if that helps. A Star Wars? Opened yeah. the same weekend as Star Wars, Memorial Jesus. Day 77. And we did a bond already. We did. The, um, Jason, do you know it? Well, yeah, I I, I did show prep. Oh, all right. Well, all right. Give me give me ten. But seconds. But I did know this before. Give me yeah. ten seconds. Okay. Nineteen seventy seven. It's not something that we mentioned. Yeah. It's not Struz check. Yeah. Um, it's not. It is not. <laughs> God dang. Um, maybe not an animated film because it didn't work like that nope. back then. It maybe uh, nope. like not it. not technically animated at least. Oh, no, no. Geez. <laughs> a little cartoony. A little cartoony. Oh, that's a but good, not that's animated. A good hint. That's a good. Is is it like uh -huh. uh, any any? any uh, is it like uh, any which way but loose or something like that? Or I know that <laughs> it's <laughs> along those lines. You're, those you're near, thinking in the right near, direction. Yes. Is it going yes. ape? Don't tell me it's going ape. No. Oh, it's no, any which no, way you no, can. No. 
No, it's Smokey no, and the no. Bandit. Oh, baby. Smokey and the Bandit. Okay, Smokey right. and the Bandit. Which which yeah. is Coming which? Uh, number two. Yeah. I I can't. Uh, I yeah. can't. Uh, no, they they put yeah. Star Wars up against it because nobody thought Star Wars was going to do anything, and Smokey wow. and the Bandit was the big the big summer hit. Wow. And they ended up both doing very well, but Star Wars did a little bit better. Wow. Smokey and the Bandit. Right. Smokey and the Bandit beat more, made more money than Saturday Night Fever. That's that's disrespectful. Oh yeah. That's, that's, oh. Can you imagine like how annoyed Burt Reynolds must have been that that fucking star movie yeah. beat his Smokey and the Bandit <laughs> Trans Am vehicle? Can you imagine yeah. the 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 yeah. Burt Reynolds of seventy seven? Right. Can you imagine how annoyed he was? You're sure, right. Calling up his friends like, hey, I got these. They got these robots. These little fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah, gay uh, golden robot guys, beat me at the box office. Guys, uh, <laughs> guys, a robot. Okay, all right. I can't do a Burt, but I can kind of do the laugh. I can do. <laughs> It's not bad. That's it, pretty, is that's smoking the bandit good? It is good. Yeah. For that kind of junky late 70s, uh, you know, a uh, good old boy movie. It's the I mean, it's the best of his Hal Needham collaborations, which is than, a low bar to clear. I don't know, Hooper, but no, Hoop, I watched it a Hooper's not bad. <laughs> Hooper's not bad. I watched it a couple of years ago and I was consistently amused. All right. Uh, I, not a great movie, but but a fine one. I, 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 all right. I, yeah, all right. I'll give it another shot. I, I I'm not I'm not as familiar with it as I should be, and I get him confused with the sequels. Um, I did see Hooper though once uh, in in the in the Alamo Draft House, which is where you should see Hooper, and that's pretty good. Yes, yes, it is. All right, Jordan, you ready to do a lightning round? Give me the lightning. All right, we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna put five minutes on the big clock. I uh, I cold many many titles from the John Willis Screen World uh, Film Annual. Say uh, your quick piece on any you have something to say on. Pass if you have nothing to say or if you have not seen it. Here we go from 1977, Demon Seed. Oh my God, I love that movie. I mean, it, well, I should, <laughs> that, that makes me sound like a pervert because it's about a woman who's sexually <laughs> assaulted by a computer. But uh, it's Donald Kamel's best film. Yeah, it's Donald Kamel's best film. It's Julie Christie. It looks amazing. It's the David Cronenberg movie you never that you you know it's it's uh if you like David Cronenberg you love Demon Seed. Desperate Living from John Waters. This is this is may, maybe my favorite John Waters movie. It's so stream of consciousness, which is it's just sad cuz Divine's not in it, but it's so stream of consciousness. It's so weird. I saw it in college when you were supposed to and it's just it's just hilarious. David Lynch's Eraserhead. Oh my god. Yeah, it's the it's the pinnacle of uh of surrealism, midnight movies. I I honestly believe and I've talked about this at length with uh I'm sure your friend and mine Jordan Raup um who works at Lincoln Center. Part of the reason why Eraserhead became such a phenomenon was because it played at the Elgin Theater in New York City at midnight. Truly one of the first midnight movies marketed you could only see it at midnight. And at midnight, I don't care how cool you are. You could be the coolest underground cat there is. <clears throat> people get tired at night. That's when people go to bed. Circadian rhythms. Plus, a lot of people smoke some grass beforehand. They settle in. You have a tendency to fall asleep at a movie like Eraserhead where, let's be honest, nothing's happening. Of course, everything's happening, man. But nothing's happening. So you fall asleep. And what happens when you're asleep, but you're not fully asleep? You're half asleep. Your brain is accepting these signals, making these links, making these interpretations. You're half 
perceiving the film, half perceiving your own dreams, it all becomes intermingled and you come out of it razor head being like, I've seen something I can't put into words. I don't, I can't express it. It is so meaningful to me personally. Yeah. Cause you were half asleep most of the time. Cause a midnight movie, this is why Eraserhead is a masterpiece. Um, and I've fallen asleep to Eraserhead many times and I love it all the more. So uh, that's my theory on Eraserhead. Great movie. Great movie. Also out in 77 from a big fan of Eraserhead, Mel Brooks's High Anxiety. <laughs> you know, I um, saw High Anxiety before I saw a lot of the movies it mocked. Yes. So yes. Uh, that's a treat. When you see Rear Window after High Anxiety, uh, you know <laughs> yes. you're getting something. Uh, it's very funny. It's not Mel Brooks's best, but um, but it's great. Kingdom of the Spiders. Yeah. Um, William Shatner as Rack Johnson or something like this. I forget the name of the character. His name is Rack. Kingdom of the Spiders is a piece of shit, but it's William Shatner at his lowest. He was probably at his nadir, probably thinking of quitting the business and running a used car shop somewhere um it's a terrible movie with a great vhs cover kingdom of the spider <laughs> we go so many spiders in kingdom of the spiders they're everywhere they're all over the kingdom maybe that's where he was uh on the morning when they launched the uh the space show <laughs> um shooting kingdom of the spiders john casavetti's opening night yeah uh it's so good and it's so yeah. um this might be casavetti's best is it? Ooh, provocative take. I mean, I, I love Maybe. Shadows for its time because it's got that jazzy thing. But I think Opening Night might be, if 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 you have someone in your life that's never seen a Cassavetes film, I think this is the one you point him to. Um, it's really good. Ralph Bochke's Wizards. <laughs> this is another freak out. When you're done watching the Grateful Dead movie, watch this. Um, Wizards is hard to watch all the way through because it's really annoying after a while. But it's uh, Ralph Bakshi, of course, he's the he created the rotoscoping technique um, of animation where it would mix actual film with, you know, kind of like what Linklater does now, but you know, not as you know, different style. He did the Lord of the Rings uh, from the '70s and and a lot of other things. Um, Wizards is a trip, man. It's hardcore nerd ass shit. It's all just I don't know what the hell's going on with Wizards. It's wild. The the release dates are always weird because they're international. But if I'm not mistaken, we had two Werner Herzog movies in '77. Aguirre is it Aguirre or Aguirre? Yeah, Aguirre, yeah. Aguirre, The Wrath of God, and Strozek, both out in '77. Yeah, I didn't know Aguirre was '77. Aguirre, The Wrath of God is a masterpiece. I mean, it's it's a, yep. I just I, I don't even I can't even put it into words. It's it's. Uh, it's um fundamental you know when if you go to film school it's like you can't you thou shalt not pass unless you pledge your allegiance to Aguirre the wrath of god i mean it's just so good but strozcheck is fun because it feels like an american independent and but it also feels like it was made from outer space you know herzog <laughs> who didn't know much about america bringing in bruno s who was like this actor you could google bruno s and learn his life story uh he mm -hmm. was this non-actor that somehow got involved in Herzog's orbit and he made some movies with him and um yeah it's just like a lot of them drinking schlitz they're in like Wisconsin or something drinking schlitz uh on, yep. it's just a weird film man but Aguirre is man you know that's about the conquistadors and uh it's a great film of just like going in the jungle you know I mean Fitzcarraldo gets all the attention because he nearly killed the whole crew with the boat sure. smashing into things, but Aguirre is pretty intense too. It's it's they're they're a great uh, diptych the two Aguirre and Fitzcarraldo are two sides of the same coin. 
All right. Excellent. And that concludes our lightning round. Thank you, Jordan Hoffman. Hey. You, you did very well. Thank very you well for on the lightning me. round. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to throw it real quick to our friend W. Axel Foley for a quick PSA. Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know that we're here. All right, Jordan, where can people follow you on social media and or read your work? You can follow me. Yeah, don't follow me in life because I get nervous enough as it is. If you see me back <laughs> um, uh Yes, where can you follow me on social media? I'm Jay Hoffman on Twitter, J-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. Um, I just got on this blue sky. Now you hey, say, congratulations. You say that this is going to be, we're not airing this for a couple of weeks or whatever? Uh, yeah, it'll be a minute. Yeah. Okay. I guarantee you by the time that this is out, I will have forgotten about Blue Sky. Because before I got because <laughs> before I got on for anybody listening who has is a little jealous about Blue Sky being the hot, it's it's the same thing as Twitter. It's the same thing. Uh functionality. I got on post. I got on mm-hmm. um w- another one I forgot. I never did Mastodon. Uh but yeah. they're all the same. And it's like it's the same thing. It's like it's the same mm-hmm. people. I follow like eleven people on 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 blue sky and 11 people follow me and it's the same people i follow on twitter they're making the same jokes so i think i'm done with <laughs> uh anyway but i'm on uh i'm on twitter jay hoffman and i can be read uh, regularly in all of your favorite outlets i write for vanity fair i write for the times of israel I write for uh i write a lot for goldderby.com which is a, a hey. an interesting website um tv guide a once in a blue moon for polygon decider i used to write for the, the guardian but not anymore uh and uh you know i'll write for whomever hey if you're an editor uh send me an email <laughs> i'll write for you um and uh that's what i do i am fun city cinema on instagram jason dash bailey on letterboxd where you can find under my list the top fives for every episode of the show including this one mike where can people follow you i am on twitter at brainwashed lib <laughs> and don't forget we are now on oh you didn't know that that's a good handle um and don't forget we are now on substack a very good year.substack.com where paid subscribers get bonus episodes bonus writing and much much more mike before we go what is your favorite movie of the year 1977 my favorite movie of 1977 is a documentary called word is out that is um, basically they interviewed 28 different people. I think it's sort of evenly split between gay men and, and gay women. And, you know, it's 77. So it's like Stonewall is done, you know, mm-hmm. but like Reagan's on the way. Right. <laughs> so it's this very sort of interesting, precarious moment where they they you know it's it's people who have fought for the rights that they have, but they definitely don't feel solid. You know, you can mm. tell that everybody is, 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 and they, they, there's a couple of people that literally say like, you know, they're afraid that things could start going backward. Um, and it's just, I mean, you can smell the coffee that they're drinking, you know, you can really like, you can feel the rooms that they're in, you know, a lot of people are smoking and uh, smoking cigarettes and it seems like you could ask them to bum one. Like, it, I don't know, you know, there's like five or six credited interviewers, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never been able to figure out like sort of what their personal relationship was with the the subjects, 
but it feels like the people who are conducting the interviews have very deep relationships with the subjects because it feels like they're talking to you in their like they invited you into their home to tell you their stories. Uh, it's just it's a really powerful movie. You know, it's 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 a 77 style documentary. There's a lot of fucking headroom on a lot of those <laughs> shots, you know, a lot of centered faces, you know, and the wide shots and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But if you just sort of get into the rhythm of, of what they're talking about and the way that they're talking. Uh, it's just a really profoundly human movie. And um, it was important to me uh, the first time I saw it. And I've, I've watched it a few times. It's on Canopy. I watched it again today um, just to sort of be like, oh, that is it is. That's that's the answer, mm. isn't it? Wow. And, you know, five minutes into the movie, I was like, fuck, yeah, it is, dude. Well, I'm fuck I'm yeah, uh, I'm I'm always I'm not ashamed to admit I've never seen this movie. I've never heard of this movie. I'm scandalized at myself, but it looks Terrific. One of the interview subjects is Harry Hay. I know about him. He's the founder of the Radical Fairies. Um, yeah. So this is uh, just catapulted to the top of my two watch list because um, hey. I try to keep abreast of, of great movies and I will. I've never seen this one. Jason, what's right. your favorite? I, I very nearly went with. Uh, it's wetter the better, isn't it? I almost went with Petey Wheatstraw, the devil's son-in-law from uh, from Star Rudy Ray Moore, but uh, the actual honest pick is uh, a wonderful, wonderful Jonathan Demme movie called uh, originally released as Handle, uh, or excuse me, originally released as Citizens Band, uh, later re-edited and re-released as Handle with Care, uh, flopped both times, got very hard to see, still not easy to see, um, but a terrific little movie uh, an ensemble sort of comedy drama about people on CB radios and how they the, how CB radios were sort of the first internet chat rooms in terms of um adopting a persona and a personality that was maybe not quite honestly yourself um <laughs> written by the great Paul Brickman a few years before uh Risky Business uh starring uh Paul Lamott and Candy Clark in an American Graffiti reunion Bruce McGill is also in it it's got a you know just a wonderful ensemble cast you know that 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 way that um that Demi had with just putting strange unusual interesting people together and letting them bounce off each other he's very much warming up for melvin and howard with um handle with care citizens band like i say it's hard to see i was lucky enough to see it on a 16 millimeter print at the quad cinema on a series that our friend charlie taylor uh programmed around the release of his wonderful book uh but it's just it's an absolute treat and everything that's great about jonathan demi you're seeing there in this film and it's in its nascent form jonathan so demi's is... movies are getting better when you revisit mm -hmm. a jonathan demi it's like my god like i watched rachel getting married for uh for the first time since it's release recently and it's like oh, it's staggering yeah how good it is yeah. and when it came, I, I feel as if we didn't appreciate him enough or we thought he he died kind of young. We thought he had a lot more in him. And it's like, you know, Ricky and the Flash. Like if Ricky and the Flash came out tomorrow, I would be doing I'll be doing um uh, cartwheels. It's and and when it came out, it was like, oh yeah, Ricky and the Flash, hey, a typical Jonathan Demi picture. It's like, ah <laughs> we only yeah. we don't have any more. That's it. Yeah. Uh yeah, he he's it. he's so unique and um uh just it, it's staggering to think about how great he was. And it 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 makes me crazy sometimes that uh I mean, I would say, really, do you, would you agree, Jordan, that in his films, the humanism yeah. is really the special effect? <laughs> um, the, 
that's an inside joke. Uh, that's an inside joke, but uh, he's right. It sure is. In that case, he it is sure right. Is. It really is. Humanism yes, is. is an inside. It's, 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 uh, what can I say? I mean, listen, we, you know, the Jonathan Demi's movie. And so Citizen Van, is that your favorite Jonathan Demi movie? It's not even my favorite Jonathan Demi movie. Is it Melvin and Howard? It, is, is it, it might be Melvin and Howard for me. It's, it's, it's maybe Melvin and Howard. It's yeah. probably Melvin and Howard. So it cool. might be something wild. I don't know. Yeah. It's a good filmography. All right. Thank you again, Jordan. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. I'm here to talk about 1977. And uh, what can I say? Great day. Great year. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for listening. It was a very good year.